amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's been a while, but we're back. I'm Rusty, joined by Sean. We're slinging quack. Uh, it's the end of the year, given the Oregon quarter system. Graduation was last week. Another year has come and gone. Yes. A whole flock of ducks has graduated, but a whole new flock is coming in. It's the circle of life. It's the circle. It's the circle of life. Yes. Going around the O. Yeah, I was actually at the social sciences graduation last week, and there were a lot of athletes in that group. I was there. I was there to see a friend, but there was like two basketball players. A lot of athletic department workers were in attendance. Dana Altman was there. Good old Dana. With, along with Greg Pittens. Good old Dana and Pins holding it down. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. It was. Yeah, I was looking at all the photos of all everyone I knew graduating, and that was two years ago now for me. And time's going by quicker and quicker. Wait, what year did you graduate? Twenty thirteen. Wow, we were in the same graduation year. Yep. What was your major? Journalism. Okay, that's yep. why. Okay. Everything's coming together now. It all makes sense. All right. So, where do we want to start recapping this last year of duck sports? Let's, you know, let's let's start from let's start from the fall and and work our way through the calendar. You don't want to go reverse chronological? Mm, we'll keep it in order. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, my head might spontaneously combust. All right. So, let's start with the most important sport. Football. Football. Which we're 75 days away from, by the way. Oh, it's 75? It's today? 75. It's okay, nice, we're recording like, this on a number. Monday. Yeah. Monday, June 22nd. Wow. 75 days. I remember putting up like a post that was like, we're 224 days away and just like crying a little bit. Yeah, we're we're into double digits now. Oh, wow. We've oh, gone wow. past triple digits. We're now down to double digits. Is Phil Steele's book out? Not that I've seen, but I haven't been keeping an eye out for it, so. That's so crazy. I, normally it's out by, like, April. Or, like, May at the latest. Yeah. But, uh, Oregon football, uh, it was so close. Mm-hmm. Again. And, you know, I was, I was kind of, you know, this is the, the second time that I've kind of been in the midst of the national championship hoopla, whatever we want to call it. And, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to compare the two, the two seasons and the two games, you know, 2010, you had the, the almost perfect season. Mm -hmm. You know, we were the, the new England Patriots of college football that Mm -hmm. year. Um, and, And it's like, if I look back on like, which, which loss was, tougher to swallow it it was the ohio state one for me oh and because it, it wasn't because competitive i think it was it, but it, it was just like wow yeah. they are better it was 
it was just the sad realization that you're just getting your ass handed to you by the better team. And it's like, you know, the, the 2010 game with everything that went down, low scoring game, you know, the Jeff Mail two point conversion. Oh, that was unbelievable. That, that was I. I remember I was in I was in a fraternity on campus at the time. We were having a Ew. giant ash. Yeah, before <laughs> I saw the light, but having Which a one? giant at Kappa Sigma. Okay, not terrible. So, if it was SAE. Yeah, destroyer of Heisman's. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so it was. Uh, had a watch party at at one of the guys' apartments, and there were probably probably 30 to 40 of us in a living room meant for about 10 so perfect sounds about uh, right you know. and i remember jeff mail scores that touchdown and it's just like the best way i could describe the celebration is like when you get a group of 25 guys on a baseball team and someone just hit a walk-off home run and you have that mobbing at home plate yeah it was like that basically and just a mess of celebration just a mess of celebration and emotions flowing and then of course everything that transpired and i'll never forget one of one of the guys next to me you know freshman brand new to college brand new to to the fraternity life and he just looks at me and he goes and i'm not i'm saying this verbatim he goes bro you trying to rage tonight Say that again? Like, he said, bro, you trying to rage tonight? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> it's like... This guy's a I'm freshman? Go... <laughs> he was a freshman. He of was course. ready to party. Of course. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep, but you can go hang on a light pole. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Th- these are the guys who don't understand. Like, like... Yeah, so... Like, I'm not trying to be like one of those people that's like, oh, back in my day, Oregon sucked. But it's kind of like the the there's so many people today. Like if you're 12 or younger, you've never you live in a world where Washington has never beaten Oregon. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's like it's got to be amazing. And it's that type of like dominance, like almost from 2009 on. Yeah, Oregon was, has been. We have been so spoiled. Yeah, I mean, it's like it started to kind of pick up in like 2008. I feel like was a pretty solid year. I mean, it was that was still when like I remember I went to the Holiday Bowl that year, and we were all pretty stoked about that. And then Chip Kelly kind of just took it to the next level in 2009, and it's just been on cloud nine. Ever Wait, since. you went to the it's Holiday like, Bowl against Oklahoma State? I was there. I was too. How have we? How have we never run across each other in real life? It's amazing how these <laughs> things happen. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it's yeah. Spoiled is is the right word. It's like when we're looking back at you know, what was it not this past season, but the season before we went like eleven and two and won the Alamo Bowl, and the like, season was basically Texas. Considered- season was basically marked as a failure by that point and it was just you know out of all the bowl games i've watched from the time i've been a ducks fan you know i can i probably could barely tell you anything that happened in the alamo bowl i really don't remember much of that game and i just think it's just because i just didn't care and that's kind of the level that oregon football has gotten to where 
you know, if it, it's, it's basically, you know, it's, it's BCS or bust. I don't know. I, I guess now it's New Year six or bust. I don't know what the standard is anymore. It's a whole new confusing world. Oh yeah, it's playoffs or bust. Yeah. Um, or Rose Bowl. It's playoffs. Or playoffs Rose or Rose Bowl, or you know, otherwise it's a failure. And this was just you know this was a magical season for football because Marcus Mariota obviously finally got the Heisman. Yeah. And. You know, it's, it's, again, so damn close. But watching that Ohio State game, that was just, you know, it, it was like you were watching a, a kind of a slow motion, just see it coming and you wanted to deny the inevitable. But, oh, yeah, it was Oregon was basically playing catch up for almost the whole game and. Ohio State was just the better team that day, and you know, hats off to them. But I was speaking of football and the way too early mock drafts for next year. I've um, I've been seeing what's the is it Joey Bosa? Is that how you pronounce it? The the lineman from hell that almost killed Marcus. He's. Uh. Oh. Bosa, Busa, I'm I'm blanking on on my pronunciations here, um, but he's projected to go number one overall to the Titans. I saw in one of the SB Nation mock drafts, and oh, how awkward would that be? I don't know. See, I have not even like had an image of. Actually, that's not true. I have an image of like Ezekiel Elliott like breaking a couple tackles and going outside and just being like, all right. Well, this is kind of how this game's going. Yep. And when Cardale Jones ran over Balducci. Yeah. That was that was the worst. That was bad. That was also the game where it's like, all right, well, if Ohio State can do this with their third-string quarterback, then you know what? Maybe they are the national champions, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> it's just inevitable. Yeah. You know. They they took away us finally getting getting to play Alabama, but dicks. One day it'll happen. Yeah, I think like the real big takeaway is is that I think like the first time where Oregon got like a taste of being on the t- on like on top of the national mm-hmm. like realm is two thousand seven. Right, it was Chip Kelly's first year. Dennis Dixon went from basket case to Heisman contender until his ACL yeah. pooped out. Um. And that one, because that year was absolutely insane. That year was like, I think the number two team, including Oregon, lost for like 10 weeks in a row. Yeah, I I remember that year. Um, that was before I, before I saw the light and became a Ducks fan. That was the, the first year I'd moved. I was living in uh, San Francisco at the time and I had just moved there. Uh-huh. So my mom and I went to the Cal Tennessee game where Deshaun Jackson went all PlayStation on him on that punt. Oh, return. right. I remember sitting in track town and watching that happen. Yeah. And so we were at that game actually sitting in the Tennessee section. And, uh, you know, after that game, we actually went out and bought Cal season tickets for that year. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I took 
I took a girl I was dating at the time to a uh, to the Cal Oregon State game, the one where they all they needed to do was win and they'd be number one. Oh yeah, and they and just fell apart at the end. I remember that because uh, what was the guy's name? Mate, what was their quarterback's name? Nate Longshore. That's it. And he's he instead of spiking the ball and getting their kicking unit on. Yeah. On third down, like there was chaos, and the field goal team was, tried to run on, I, and they I didn't remember, get the kickoff. Yeah, I remember watching that from the stands, just just hopeless, you know, and just seeing it all like all go wrong. Yeah, it was thirty-one twenty-eight was the final score, and uh, oh man! So, long story short, game ends, heartbreak ensues. And the girl I'm with, we're walking home, and she goes, I didn't, I don't get you tonight. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, sometimes tonight you were happy and jumping up and down cheering. Sometimes you were sad. Now you're just quiet. I don't like it. <laughs> I was like. Welcome to college football. <laughs> I was like, you just describe college football in a nutshell. <laughs> Needless to say, the relationship yeah. didn't last much, much longer. Yeah, did you just cut the cable then? Just like, all right, you know what? It, it went on for a little bit longer, but I think that was the moment that just doomed it all. Uh-huh. Kevin Riley was the game, was the quarterback that game. Oh, he, yeah, because he had he taken was, over for Nate Longshore. He was in for, Nate, Nate Longshore, whose ankle was... I'm getting this from Wikipedia, so you uh-huh. know it's true. Yeah. Wikipedia is actually a solid source, because they do a oh, lot yeah. of peer review on there. People hate on it, but it's actually really solid. Injured during the final minutes of the game against Oregon. And so Kevin Riley was informed that he would start the game 10 minutes before the start of the game. Oh, well, that's that's pretty positive. All right. So, But, yeah, that was 2007 in a nutshell. It was just you don't want to be near the top. It was just a curse spot. Yep. And that was the year Cameron Colvin fumbled through the end zone. Yep. Um, yeah, but the big difference between 2007 and this is last year was that this year it really felt like Oregon belonged at the top. Exactly. 2007 was like, oh, this is one of those years. We're going to catch a break. Yeah. And then two year was it two or three years ago when Alabama just <laughs> rolled over Notre Dame? Yeah. And that oh, was the okay. other year where it was like, this is go time. Like, that. this is our time to just kind of slide into this nat- national national championship, like slide into the DMs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, like, end up getting Notre Dame because we would have shredded Notre Dame. Yeah. Just like in 2007, we would have shredded Ohio State. Exactly. Who was, was not playing in... 2007 years they were still playing like 1986 now are you the are you one to believe that like a national title win is is a win no matter what or do you want that like do you want that signature win over like ohio state or alabama oh i don't care i don't care we'll take anyone Yeah. yeah oh yeah i don't care think alabama cares about like who they beat in their 12 national titles no no you get you get the shiny trophy at the end just gotta get one and you're fine. See, like, take a... Let's think. Let's think about this real quick. Um, 
I'll pull up an example. All right. Alabama mm-hmm. won uh, the 1992 Division One football game, or football national championship. I think okay. I slaughtered that name enough. Who did they beat? Um, is this a uh, is this a trivia question? Yes. I don't know off the top of my head. Exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to Wikipedia here. Oh well, I can tell you the answer now. See, the point is, is that you don't know. Yeah. No one remembers like in a given year. Well, that's that's very true. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, and the answer is Miami, who's number one. But that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter you, who they even beat. though they were the number one team. Right. You're not. You're still just going to remember that as a national championship team. You're not exactly. going to remember who it was. Exactly. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, like I don't think anyone's kind of like, like when Florida beat Ohio State, people were just like, oh yeah, Florida won that national title game, and there's like, oh yeah, that was the year they just like that was the year the SEC like took took over. But like 20 years, they're going to be like, yeah, that's when Florida just wrecked and the SEC took over. They're not going to be like, oh, that's when they just trounced Ohio State. Yeah. With Troy Smith as quarterback. So, remember that year they won it? We are so off topic. Remember that year? <laughs> remember that year? That's slinging quack in a nutshell. Because, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, that was the year that Michigan and Ohio State were one and two most of the season. Oh, I remember and that. And Michigan like, lost to Ohio State in the big house. And it was – Ohio State won 42-39. to 39 Yeah. Because Troy Smith, like, scrambled for a long time, hit Ted Ginn in the, like, the near right corner of the end zone yeah. to go up. And for a while they were they were like, who do we vote? Do – I like, we should give them a rematch. Like, they're the clear number one of two teams. Yeah. And then Florida ended up sliding in to the DMs and – just bow, just blown away. Just made him look terrible. Yeah. And then, oh, here's another great question. Who did Florida beat the next year for the national championship? Oh, what what year is this? Is this 2007? Uh, I think didn't it's 2008. Beat, didn't they beat Notre Dame? No. Who was it? Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that's right. I correct myself. It was 2009 that they did that. 2009. In 2008, LSU beat Ohio State 38-24. And that year, Tim Tebow won, won the Heisman. The next year, because then they played Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, Michigan in Lloyd Carr's last game actually beat Florida after teams thought they would get shredded. Oh, yeah. And uh, the next year, Sam Bradford won the Heisman, and it was another matchup where two Heisman winners faced off against each other. So, all right, cool. But uh, um, I would, I would, I would say, with football, what, what's your, what's your memory, memory of the year from football? Oh wow. Um. I think it would be the memory of the year. 
I th- oh man, there's a couple. I was originally gonna say uh, the first half of the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. Where Arizona didn't cross the fifty. That was magical. Like that was the time where I was like, wow, this defense is legit. They were averaging yeah. like uh Arizona was averaging like minus point six yards a carry at one point. Yeah. It was something ridiculous. And because like, people are always like, oh, Oregon gives up so many yards and so many points. It's like, well, yeah, they're playing eight more possessions on defense than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, like, they have to play so many games. But, like, if you look at, like, yards per play or points per possession, they're, like, one of the best in the country. Yeah, exactly. And that was it. was just like, oh, wow, this is like an Alabama-type performance on defense. But I think the memory that I will always have of this season is Jameis Winston fumbling the ball backwards <laughs> and Tony Washington picking it up and running it back. I was at that game, and that's the point. Like th- That was their fourth turnover in a row, and so they had three others before that. There was a fumble, there was two fumbles, and like another interception. And then it was the Jameis Winston fumble. Yeah. And at that point, everybody on our section, like, it wasn't even cheering. We were just laughing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Were you there? I I was there. I was up at the another place we've been. Yeah. You know, same spot. What are we doing? Uh, I was up in the, uh, so you know the, the Florida State end zone? Yes. Um, basically, like, top corner of their end zone on the side of, like, the press box. Okay, so we were Liter- opposite. Literally last row in the stadium. Okay. Yeah. When Tony Washington picked the ball up, he was running towards running. my section. Yeah, so you were like more towards like where all the like the quote unquote official Oregon section was. Yeah. And that was that was the play where it's just like, Oh my god, this is this is hilarious. Yeah. And yeah, I I'd easily say Rose Rose Bowls, the memory of the year for a, a few reasons. Um, one of them just being the simplicity of after being at, I, I was lucky enough where that's the third Rose Bowl I've been to in person. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been to all the modern recent ones we've been to in this decade. Mm-hmm. And both against Ohio State and Wisconsin, we were just grossly outnumbered by the opposing fans. Oh, yeah, Wisconsin which was, was, Wisconsin which was, was bad. sad because they had to travel such a further distance than we did. And so I was just so worried. I was like, oh, my God. Like, Well, I, know I would pay to get out of Wisconsin, too. You know, it's <laughs> it's a vacation for them. Yeah. We're going to see the sunshine. <laughs> and... uh and I was like, you know, I know it's a long way from the travel, but my God, there's going to be Florida State fans everywhere. And I, I don't, I might get arrested by the end of the night. I don't know, you know. Uh-huh. And the fact that just none of them even showed up was magical to begin with. It was essentially a home game. Yeah. And people. I, I, I had leading in the weeks leading up to the game, I would honestly. I would listen to like a YouTube clip of their war chant to try and like numb the sound <laughs> and just be used to it. Cause I was like, it was like if this game goes South that like that is just going to haunt my dreams for eternity. Yeah. But 
Well, that song only played for two quarters. The yeah, the fact that none of them showed up, and you know, it was competitive at first, and then we just stepped on the throttle and just stepped on their throats, and and then just that like that moment of realization, and I think it was the Winston fumble when I it finally like fully hit me. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, we're going to the national championship game. Like, I've never been. I, I I was happier that night than at the end of the 2012 Rose Bowl, and I didn't know if I would ever like experience that level of joy again. <laughs> it's like your first hit of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Just, so that was yeah Rose Bowl memory of the year, football, and so that man. was that was great. That was just. I think as a fan, that might have meant more to us than, than, uh, I mean, it might have meant as much to us as it meant to the football players. Exactly. Because we had to put up with FSU Twitter for a month. Oh, I, I didn't think I was going to make it out of December <laughs> alive. I remember just listening to this and like, do these guys actually believe these things they're saying? Yeah. And I mean, even, uh, there was even, uh, amongst the communities there is some uh some snobbery going on all that way that we won't dive into the details on but yeah. all i'm gonna say is i'm i'm glad i was not managing editor yet for that little stint because <laughs> i i would have just not i would have just turned a blind eye to all of it and not worried about it and i'm sure just all hell would have broken loose yeah man but it was just it was so funny, like, because all year, they were such a paper tiger. And it was just, like, scratching out win a, a win against Louisville. Like, looking terrible for 50 minutes and then making playing well for 10 minutes and somehow getting a win. And having to deal with the narrative of, like, oh, they just win. They just keep winning. Always find a way to win. It's like, oh, my God, please. You're playing Louisville. Yeah. Scraping out wins yeah. every single week against like nobodies against games that should be cakewalks, you know. Yeah, and it's like, oh, any given Saturday, anyone can beat anyone. Well, it's like, well, if you're the number one team in the country, you should be able to cruise through these games. Yeah, and and I get it too that, I, like, when you're at the top, you're gonna get every team's best shot, and so every team is gonna play their best game of the year against you, right? But even then, like every game just being ugly as hell. Yeah, you should have terrible. a few close games in there, but like it was consistently every single game. Yeah. And so and just hearing their players too, I think that's what like really agitated me most is they're like, Yeah, Marcus Mariota is like like we we got a lot of guys who are faster than Marcus Mariota. He's he's not that he's not that scary cut to Marcus Mariota just crushing them with his legs <laughs> like making them look I remember I specifically remember there was a time on his own read where he pulled it and split two Florida State defenders who almost ran into each other and scoring a touchdown to like ice it and then Thomas yeah. Tyner like running over people how, oh quick how about Thomas Tyner most improved absolutely he like he came in as the track star he shredded the high school I went to uh, when he was at Aloha. 
uh, he ran for like 700 yards and like eight touchdowns. Yeah. In a, well, in a close game. All, in a close game. I remember all the hype surrounding him and just you, you'd see his stat lines week after week and you'd be like, this is not a human being. Right. There's no way a kid should be able to do this. And yeah, he, he came up clutch in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and it was really it was really when he got pushed by Royce Freeman and Royce Freeman started taking he became the starter. Yeah. And because he was just making the one cut and go and just like making the most of it and Thomas Tyner was very content to like kind of bounce around and always hit the home run. Yeah. And once Tyner came back from his injury, he was injured for a while. He ran with like the same attitude Royce did but using his own style and that's when it was like oh wow both of these guys are just killing it now yeah like now it's almost like if you take Tyner at his best and Royce at his best I don't even know how the coaches pick between them you just you gotta let them let them do their thing and let them let them run wild and yeah I think that's gonna be you know, uh, looking quickly to 2015, I think that's really going to be the strength of the team next year. Is oh, it's got to be. It's it's going to take. Let's you know. Let's just say, sorry, Jeff Lockie, love you, dude. But let's just say Vernon Adams does what he needs to do, adjusts, and is the starter the whole year consistently. Yeah. You know, it's still there's always going to be some pressure on him because he's the first guy after Marcus Mariota. Uh huh. And that's just a tough role for anyone. And having that backfield that he's going to have is going to take so much pressure off of his shoulders. And, you know, people are saying that this year's receiving core is possibly the best that Oregon has ever seen in the history. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so if best case scenario you know Adams adjusts perfectly he knows how to utilize all his weapons you know Tyner and Freeman do their thing in the backfield and just if everything clicks like it it should on paper that's it's going to be a scary team next year yeah I mean that all comes down I think the biggest determinant is going to be the offensive line so yeah. thank God we got that Notre Dame center because I was That's... not stoked about the after the spring game. I would rather have him than Everett Golson. Yeah. Zero questions asked. And like that's gonna especially like what we learned in the national championship game, like what separates from the national title runner ups from the champions are the lines. Like the lines are so important. Like yeah, Ohio State's I'm, offensive line was unbelievable. I'm feeling much better about the O-line now than I did, you know, before before the transfers and so things things are things are looking up. Okay. But let's uh let's move on to uh basketball. Are we not going to do cross country? I love cross country. I'm a runner. Um I'll, you know, give a shout out here to Edward Cheserick, call him King Cheserick for a reason. I was looking at, I think they got both the men and women took sixth overall at nationals. Mm-hmm. But I think Cheserick took the 
individual title. That kid's that kid's special. We'll talk more about him when we get to track because I do want to talk about track towards. Yeah, him. I mean cross country and track kind of fall under the same umbrella. Yeah. Um. But, but uh, but basketball here. Surprisingly yeah. successful season. I think surprisingly successful is the understatement of the year. (laughs) I was expecting, I kid you not, when Dave and I were talking about this before the season started, I think I was expecting, like, I thought if we hit double-digit wins, I would be excited. Yeah, I was. I That's was where we, we were like, we have zero. Yeah, we have zero expectations of how the season is going to go. Like, we can chalk this one up as a nothing because we have like this cupboard is bare. We got like a couple like utility guys, and that is it. Yeah, I was talking to my buddy before the year, and I was saying I will not be surprised if this team loses twenty or more games this year, and they. They just they they made it work. It's unbelievable. And, it's unbelievable. Know, they played beat Oklahoma State again in the tournament. Played they, Wisconsin fairly close for a while. Yeah, they were tied late. They made it to yeah. the championship game of the Pac twelve tournament. Thanks to I I remember watching the Oregon Utah game when Joe Young synced the game winning three. Uh-huh. And it was the most bizarre moment because, and I, I think I might have, I've told this story somewhere, either on here or I think it was on here on an earlier episode, uh-huh. but watching the game at my house by myself and I'm a very like quiet sports fan when I watch on TV. Oh yeah. You know? I hate I, watching with other people. I don't get very, I might clap a little bit. I might, you know, give a little fist bump, but I, I'm not a very vocal sports fan on, you know, when I'm not at the game. Uh-huh. And I just had this most bizarre reaction where I, I was, you know, standing up, pacing back and forth, dribbles up, nails it. And I just start like, I start jumping around up and down like I would as if I was at the game. Yeah. But I, there not a sound came out of my mouth. And it was just purely jumping. And, like, thank God I live in a house and not, like, an apartment with people below me because they probably would have thought it was the apocalypse or something. With, <laughs> But um, big day, big day on Tuesday with, with Murray and the, the decision... Mm-hmm. Apparently, according to Elgin Cook, it's already locked up. Yeah, I remember I got a, a screenshot from someone, and I was like, "Who's that?" And he was like, "Oh, it's like us in Kentucky that are competing is, for him." Is Elgin Cook a, a trusted source? Uh, well, we're, we're gonna find out tomorrow. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. If it's true, I'm going to Elgin Cook for all my Oregon basketball news from yeah, now on. Yeah, seriously. That'd be that'd be crazy. But this could really be a, you know, with with Dylan out and his transferring in, um, and Murray possibly committing. Cross your fingers, say your prayers to the 
recruiting gods tonight. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, if all of that comes together, I actually do have expectations for next year, which is kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. I expect them to be a very solid team. I expect them to be a tournament team. Maybe, maybe Sweet Sixteen at best would be nice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just going to be a complete turnaround from this past year when there was just zero expectations. Which would be weird to have, like expectations. I, I, wouldn't know I remember the last year I went into a season and was like, oh yeah, we're going to be good. Yeah. Yes. I remember you made a point on the last podcast that we did going over recruiting and everything. You know what? I still have the like the file. I just can't figure out how to get it. It's like not converting or something, right? It's in the abyss of the internet. Yeah, it's on my computer. Like I can listen back to it. Not that I will because I hate hearing my own voice back to me. <laughs> like I'm sorry for anyone I've ever talked to. Um and you had an, a great point that was uh, we were doing like true or false questions. And you said uh, like true or false. Every Oregon team underperformed uh, under Ernie Kent. And we were kind of, and so Dave and I were and we all kind of went as a group over the like Ernie Kent teams. And we're like, yeah, they kind of underperformed every year. Mm hmm. Except for 2007. Right. When they had Aaron Brooks and Tuan Porter. And you were saying, and the next one was true or false, Dana Altman has exceeded expectations every year. And that was like the easiest true ever. It's really as, like, he is kind of boring. The team is... I don't know, like, because ticket sales are very poor. Ticket sales are an embarrassment. It's that's not good. Only, that's well, the only way to put it. They're incredibly overpriced. Yeah, I think I I, I wrote a piece earlier uh, at some point, probably, I think it was late in the basketball season, and it was basically diving into the whole ticket issue of... Oh, yeah, you solved the ticket the, issue. The team is perfor- is basically exceeding expectations and playing incredible but just nobody cares. And I think, and I broke it down the prices and I think I said for you, just your average night for a family of four, a ducks game, it'll cost you a couple hundred bucks to go to the game. Mm-hmm. And because you would look at ticket prices and I think, I think like the average ticket price was like 40 or 45 bucks a ticket or yep. something. And that's just disgusting. Like you can't expect to gather like, Unless you're an elite program, you can't justify charging that amount of money. And they finally got it one day where they did like that insane promotion for like, was it like $12 tickets in the whole arena for the Utah game or something? Yeah, it was, it was far discounted. So I don't think you could, uh, I don't think it was like even at the lower bowl, it was 12, it was like 25 or something. Yeah. And it sold out. Yeah, and they pack the place. And it's like, look at what you guys can do when you actually make ticket prices reasonable. And you can pack that venue. Because I've been in Matthew Knight Arena when it's packed with 12,000 people. And it gets deafening in there when they pack the house. Because that's what it was designed to do. But when you're consistently 
feeling like when you're consistently pulling just games where it's you know it's half it's half empty it's just not an intimidating venue whatsoever and that's just part of no it's a nice place to play yeah it's a it's a nice arena and that's all it is but that's not what you you want intimidation in college basketball and you know so I, I don't think we'll ever, you know, we're not going to see, oh, we're just going to slash the ticket prices in half for the whole season out of the blue. But, you know, they, they got to do something to to fix that. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before on the podcast. I mean, we've had this discussion in detail. Um, but, like, just from a marketing standpoint, I think they do a terrible job of, like, explaining what there is to be excited about because winning does not necessarily sell tickets. And right. if you're using winning to sell tickets, that puts you in a terrible spot like over the long term. Yeah, I've I've talked to some marketing people and they've said that what you know what you have to do in sports when you're marketing things is you you need to sell things that you can control and more or less like wins and losses you can't from a marketing side of things you can't control that uh-huh. you know that's all on the players and the coaches and all that and so you need to find a way and and I think it's tough it's t- maybe tougher in college sports because then you've got it's like okay how do you you know how, where are we marketing amateur athletes and that whole line um and maybe it's just a tougher, you know, maybe the college world is just a tougher place to market because they're just kids. But, you know, I, I'd like to believe that the, peop- the people of Oregon marketing have got to be able to come up with something to get people excited about games. I don't know, give away another, give away another Phil Knight bobblehead or something. Yeah. That packed the house. Yeah. I mean... Especially if you look at, like, the football team, it's got, like, a very specific brand, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. progressive and fast, and it's, like... They it's... know exactly what their identity is. And I yeah. think... I think... And I think the the problem with Oregon basketball is that because Dana Altman kind of has... His style is kind of building... He kind of builds his teams around transfers. Yeah you don't build a relationship with the play. Like there's no connection between yeah, that's tough. the players, you know, it's like, you know, who really like who had a bigger kind of impact. Like I'm thinking, you know, let's compare like EJ Singler versus Joseph Young, you know, EJ Singler is an Oregon kid all four years at Oregon, you know, and that was kind of like you have that close relation, like yeah. you have that close connection. Joe Young is an incredibly talented player, probably one of the best scorers in Oregon history, but he was only here for a couple of years and he's gone, you know? Uh-huh. And I think, you know, I've seen Dana kind of, he's done a better job at kind of recruiting guys straight out of high school and not necessarily building the teams around transfers as much. And I think if you can get a solid group of guys who are together for four years, mm-hmm. I think by that third, fourth year, you've got the fans who have like come to love, like grown to love these players and 
have watched him for four years and yeah you know so that's kind of i think that's the problem with with uh oregon basketball it's just that when you have a a team built around transfers you there's just no connect it's just okay we're getting a new team every couple of years you know mm-hmm. but I, i'm excited for this upcoming year i think it should be a good one but if if there's one thing i've learned in sports specifically being a mariners fan is that hope and expectations are a dangerous thing oh yeah it's uh, so. I mean, that was the whole story of uh, Dark Knight Rises. That was the whole part of like the prison that he was in. Yeah. All right. Yeah, man, this basketball team. So impressive. Um. Who's up next? Women's basketball. Women's basketball. Kelly Graves. Um, I didn't wa- I didn't get to watch much of them this year but from what i did see it 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 seems like things are taking a step in the right direction mm-hmm. um and this goes back to i was i was chatting with uh some of the people that i worked with with the seattle storm and people who have been around women's basketball for a long time and really know the sport well uh-huh. and know the people involved um and one person in specific I was talking to, she said that, you know, Paul Westhead was just never a good, it was, the team was never going to win under Paul Westhead because it's just his style with the run and get, you know, the system and the run and gun offense and mm-hmm. sprint down the court and huck up a three. It just was never going to work with Oregon. Uh, you needed a very specific group of players to be able to pull that off and he just didn't have it and he stuck by his system and it crashed and burned and eventually cost him a job um yeah i don't think he's too bummed about it though i, I mean don't, you don't you don't get into women's basketball for the paycheck yeah he's got his nba championships and um but i you know i think that it, it's a little bit better of a fit with kelly graves kind of more of your you know, not not so crazy fast up tempo, and um, it you know it's it's that's the way I can summarize it. Step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I just I was like very excited about Paul Westhead coming because I was like, oh, he has like a very exciting brand. Like this right. is exciting, and he had like the thirty for thirty after him and everything, and mm-hmm. um. I remember especially when that 30 for 30 was coming out, uh, I was listening to interviews of him, and I was like, yeah, this guy is like the women's basketball coach, but the wins just did not come up. And I mean, I don't know if... uh, I want this to come off wrong, but I mean, there are physical differences between men and women. And I don't know, like, because all of the guys that were like on his team were like, it was freakishly in shape. Right. Like, they spent, like, whole practices just running. And I don't know necessarily if that will have the same results on women. Although I do think that women play, like, a much better form of team basketball than guys do. Oh, absolutely. They um, they actually play defense and... Use teamwork you know, on offense. And that, when I, when I was 
you know, when I was having the discussion about the system and how it just didn't work, part of it was simply, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not a sexist statement at all. It's just, it works better when you have a men's team because it's just the, you know, that's not, it's not saying someone's better than the other. It's just someone's more physically, you know, men are just more physically in shape for that kind of run and gun system. And that's not, yeah. you know, it's not saying that women aren't in shape because I'm sure if we tried to go play a pickup game with the women's basketball team, they'd mop the floor with us. And, oh, yeah, I'd be, you know, yeah, probably half of us would literally have our ankles broken by the end. Yeah, but, it would be like those old Kobe commercials where they like Kobe does a crossover on one of the crash dummies and his ankles literally blow up. Yeah, someone's ankle would literally blow up on the court and it would just be a mess. Like I'd be, I'd have State Farm. I would just have my State Farm guy on hold in the <laughs> arena. Oh man! So yeah, but so like last year, they went five hundred. This year was thirteen and seventeen. I mean, that's a big improvement from Paul's last year, which was like four wins. I I covered that team that won like four. See what it was here. I am so sorry. Four, four and twenty-seven. I am so sorry you had to do that. And that was that was actually when I when I had landed that job with the storm. I think part that was part of the reason I landed that job is because it, it was a very similar situation where you know the storm were publicly going about entering a rebuilding mode, <laughs> and I have never been around a a franchise or anything and and this is really this is not trying to rip on the team at all it's just it was such a shock to me that i you know i asked him about the season and the expectations and they were content with they were content with losing is essentially how it came across they they knew that you know it's like i feel like you talk to any sports gm or coach or anything and They'll tell you, well, you know, winning the championship should be the only goal every year. And they were just, you know, they were basically saying they weren't publicly admitting to to doing a tank job this year for the number one pick again, but it was pretty close. Oh, for the Seattle Storm? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think part of covering that women's team, the 2012-2013 team that went 4-27... and Mm-hmm. And two and sixteen in the conference, one and ten on the road, three and thirteen at home. You know, it's that was such a tough team to cover because you got to. So let's. I'm counting one of their losing streaks here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen out of fifteen games they lost between. December 21st and February 15th. Man. And then 15, 16, 17. They lost 18 out of their last 19, 18 out of the last 20. Man, that is soul crushing. And you just get by the end of the year and you could just see Westhead was just beat from it. And it was basically... He was just shrugging his shoulders by the end of the year. And, you know, it's just like... I you don't know what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And 
the whole team is defeated. I'm sure the coaching staff is defeated. And that was just, that was the lowest of lows. And so, you know, you look at even that, you know, the next year, the jump going from four and 27 to 16 and 16, that's, that's huge. Oh, it's monstrous. They were still awful on the road, two and nine, but they went 14 and six at home. And, you know, last year they were 10 and seven at home, three and seven on the road last year. They just need, they need to figure out how to win on the road and they might be okay. I'm, you know, I'm sure that's easier said than done, but. Yeah. I mean,. Man, those that four and twenty six year, four and twenty seven year. Brutal. Glad that got turned around. Cause I had some friends who had friends on the basketball team, and even they were like, "Yeah, it's rough." So, man, that's terrible. That reminds me of like uh, some uh, I forget what where I heard this exactly. Whether it was through another football guy I knew in the NFL, or if it was like just a story I read somewhere, but they were saying how the, like how coaching matters so much in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And after being on like a couple really good teams, this guy was on like a bad team. Like, I think it was like, uh, who was it? I think it was with the Titans a few years ago. And he said like they would go into meetings and do like their prep for the game. No, he it was with the Browns. It was with the Browns. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything came into focus. Um, and th- he would say how they would go into meetings like on Monday to go over how to, like what the game plan was, and guys would just hang their heads knowing that they weren't going to win. That's just that's unfortunate. Like, they go in, and it's like... Because they call the shots, right? They're the coach. Mm-hmm. Especially in football. Like, you just do whatever the coach says because he's the yeah. one getting everybody else to do it. And so they would hear the game plan, and they would just be like, oh, man, it's not happening this week. Terrible feeling. Because, I mean, that's one of the... Like, one of the smartest things... What's that uh, one guy's name? He played for the he played DB for the Jets, who's on, like, NFL Live. Super loud. And that doesn't narrow it down at all on NFL Live. Is it Keyshawn Johnson, receiver? No. It was the guy. I remember him because he was the DB who uh, recovered a fumble against the Giants in like the 70s. Herm Edwards. Oh, oh, Herm Edwards. And he's the reason that the victory formation is around now because he picked up the fumble and ran it in for a touchdown to win the game. Yeah. And he was saying how you don't get paid to play football in the NFL, you get paid to practice. Mm-hmm. I remember that just hearing that and thinking about it that way was just makes you totally revisit everything. And I've heard variations of that because I've heard from players that, you know, when you, when you go into a game, you know, it's, it's all based, you win the game, you win or lose the game in practice that week. Mm-hmm. And, all the game is is just simply executing what you did in practice and if you have if you don't practice well you're just not going to win the game and i've i've heard that i think i i heard that i think tom brady before the super bowl was saying that you know 
you win or lose these games in practice the week before leading up. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense to a certain extent. Yeah. And I think that's something that was really true of when Chip Kelly came to Oregon mm-hmm. is the emphasis they put on practice. Um, apparently, Bilotti wasn't too big on it every day. Like they had three days a week where they really got after it. Yeah. But Chip Kelly just brought it up. And even Mark Helfrich has continued it. And apparently turned it up another notch. How that's possible, I don't know, given Chip Kelly's demeanor. Uh, But it's like one of the things, too, like I'm a big boxing fan. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, whatever you think about Floyd Mayweather, fine, whatever. He's not a likable guy. Uh, But. One of the things he always gets a lot of credit for, because he'll have, like, celebrities come in his room and everything before he goes and fights. Right. And apparently he's just, like, calm as a Hindu cow, just, like, watching TV <laughs> on the couch. And, like, people will go into, like, every other room, like, no, don't talk to him or whatever. Like, he's, he's like, he's getting ready. Or, like, go into people's dressing rooms, and they're, like, very nervous or, like, anxious. And he's just kicking it. Yeah. And I think it was somebody, some f- super, I can't remember... It was some super famous athlete was in. He was like, you're not nervous right now? And he's like, nope. And the guy goes, why not? And he goes, I've been busting my ass for like three months to get ready. There's nothing that's going to happen between now and the fight that's going to get me any better for it. Oh, it's absolutely true. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll tell a quick story here. When I, I ran the Chicago Marathon in October and I went into that race, and especially with the marathons, like if you don't prepare for that you're screwed oh you're yeah and you cannot cover you're that a up. dead man walking and i went into that race i trained my ass off for six months all through the summer all through the spring and summer and i was that was my ninth marathon i'd run and i was never more confident going into a race than that one and there's just a certain calmness about going into something that you've prepared for so well and you know that like that morning there's like nothing I do this morning is gonna have you know before this race before this fight before whatever it is nothing I do today leading up to it is gonna make a difference so it's just this like serene moment of calmness and yeah it's all about the it's all about the preparation Mm -hmm. on a Quit, uh, while we're still quickly here on the topic of women's basketball, from the Facebook page of Oregon Women's Basketball four hours ago, Liz Brenner has accepted a scholarship offer from Kelly Graves for the 2015-16 season and will be back at UO for a fifth year. Wait, where did she go? I get. I don't... Maybe... I mean, she said she'll be back for a fifth year. She, I'm assuming she graduated, so she probably still has some eligibility lying around. Did she go play professional volleyball or something? That's pretty much what they all do. They go play overseas somewhere. Um, okay. But I, I just stumbled across this. It had to be volleyball then. Yeah. So, all right. Whew, I got to sneeze. Um... Let's stick with women for right now. All right. Acrobatics and tumbling. Acrobatics and tumbling. Yeah. Because I, 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 David Piper and I had jokingly been uh, 
had jokingly like talked about acrobatics and tumbling during like football and basketball season. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, big story. Acrobatics and tumbling win. Um, so acrobatics and tumbling made it to the finals of a sport they basically made up, which is fine. It's cool. However you got Nobody it. cares as long as you win the national championship, as we've already discussed. Yes. Lost in the finals to Baylor, I believe. Let Baylor, check correct. This. Lost to Baylor, beat Hawaii Pacific. If anybody's a powerhouse, it's Hawaii Pacific. Oh, yeah. Just based off recruiting, I feel like that would just be a powerhouse to get. The one thing I've learned about that sport this year is wherever Felicia Mulkey goes is the team that will win the national championship that year. First year at Baylor, she just takes Oregon and just beats them both times. They lost to Baylor in March in Eugene. And then... Lost in April. Lost in in April. And they lost to Hawaii Pacific. Man, Honolulu, Hawaii. Maybe shouldn't have spent so much time on the beach on paddle boards and more time preparing, as we've discussed. Oh, did that happen? Do you know if that happened? Oh, I... Spring break photos everywhere on Facebook. They were, like, going to... I mean, I'd go to the beach, too, if I was in Hawaii. But... Yeah, they were uh, something... Not a great look. They were all out in like a group team building exercise or something going on paddle boards and hiking up mountains and all that fun stuff and then lost to Hawaii Pacific. Guess it wasn't a business trip. Nah. But a learning experience because they beat Hawaii Pacific by like two points in in the semis. Oh, squeaked by there. Yeah. (laughs) I say it as if I know what I'm talking about. Experts on the sport. <laughs> yeah, I just see, I just see close scores. I'm like, ooh, that was close. Yeah. Well, as I've as I've discussed on on Sling and Quack before, I once dated a girl for six months who was a member of the acrobatics and tumbling team. So I, I temporarily beca- became knew more about that sport than I ever imagined I would. I remember discussing that. But moving on. Yeah, it's these. High high scoring events. I I will not pretend like I understand how the scoring works, but tough loss. Yeah. Moving on. All right. So, do you want to hear another story, or I guess another crazy sport? Sand volleyball. Sand volleyball. I Title nine for the win. Thing. Let me pull so, up. So they lost to Washington to open the season in April. They can't beat us in football, but they can beat us in sand volleyball. Lost to Stanford, St. Mary's, and Cal Poly, California. And then beat Cal Poly. You know, Meanwhile, they... those four games were in two days. Yeah, they... That's crazy. So here's the thing about... I'm looking over the... So let's see, April 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 matches, and their season lasts 20 days. Title nine for the win. And I would also like to point out that they have, like, sport uniforms. It's not like what you would think, where it's yeah. highly sexualized and stuff. So, 
which is a plus. I mean, they play in Boise, so... That's just unfortunate. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. Right. But, I mean, on the one hand, very nice that it's not that they're actually wearing, like, functional clothing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, let's be real here. It's finally nice that that's happening for, like, <laughs> a women's sport. We're progressing, um, finally. Yeah. It's tw- not like it's 2015 or anything. <laughs> um, do you want to... Uh, talk about golf because we're going to finish with track and field. We'll finish with track and field. I, I know nothing about golf. Fantastic. Um, Oh, but we also have baseball to talk about. We do. Um, let me take a a quick gander over, over golf here. They went to the NCAA championships. Kudos. Kudos there. Yes. Fifth and sixth at NCAA regionals. Hey, yeah. Any, any year you go to the NCAA championships and anything, success in my book. Well yeah. done, golf. Yeah. 18th, 14th, and 23rd um, in the NCAA championships. I'll just say that golf is one of those things where I really wish I was good at it. In part because I wish I could justify like going out and doing something and wearing the golfers are the best dressed people in all the sports oh yeah without a doubt oh for sure I I wish I was good at the sport just so I could justify dressing like that but I'm not so I stay away from the golf course mostly out of respect for other people (laughs) mostly out of respect for other people um also of note the women's team Finished second in the Pac-12 after it looks like leading for the first two days of the Boulder Country Club. Uh, finished eighth. Uh, finished eighth at the NCAA Regionals at San Antonio, Texas. Did not pass on. But oh, funny story I heard about golf. I remember I was like looking into. I was reading like some recruiting stuff, and I don't know if this is accurate anymore. This is like 2009. There were more scholarships available for women's golf than qualified players. Wow. Apparently, I really hope I'm right about this, so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> Apparently, you have to have like a minimum like level of ability or skill based on your score to get a scholarship and play in college. Like you have to qualify for a scholarship? Yeah. Yeah, kind of like kind of like, like how you have to qualify for the Olympics. Like if you're swimming, yeah. and like just because you your country has X many standards. spots doesn't mean they can just fill them. Yeah, um, unless in certain cases, like you're a Middle Eastern country and haven't had a woman compete in the Olympics ever, <laughs> then they make like some exemptions and stuff. Um, but I remember reading that there are more scholarships available than qualified women. Wow. Got to gotta find some more golfers out there. Yeah. So if, if you're hoping that your daughter makes it big in sports, just give her golf clubs. Hit the links. Yeah. Get those tee times booked. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. You might end up spending four years of college education to do it, but... <laughs> it'll all be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll all be worth it to break even and have a daughter who plays way better golf than you do. Um. All right. Baseball. 
baseball. George Horton. How many years in are we from uh, from uh, the baseball inception? Two thousand. So it's been six years now. One, two, three, four, five, seven, six. Yeah, they've been. This year was. Uh, I'm not mad at you, Oregon. I'm just disappointed. That's the summary. Um. Yeah, it was kind of a weird year. They lost to Iowa in the regionals. They yeah they they started they started off hot. Had a few tough stretches it. though. Like in like in March, they had a bad week. At the mid March and the end of March, they had a bad yeah. couple bad weeks. It was. Mid March here is where it started with San Francisco. They got swept by the Dons and Eugene. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Lost stretch from six out of seven. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, yeah the baseball. Lost, lost six out of seven. They finally picked it up at the end of the year and sweeped yeah. the tournament. Yeah, because there was a time. There was a time when they were, in uh, they were in danger of not making it. Yeah, it went um, a big run. Won nine of their last ten games to get in. And I've always said it's, it's not. It's not about how you start. It's just getting hot at the right time. Uh huh. And they did that. Unfortunately, they just ran out of gas in in the tournament. But maybe you know maybe they were just so gassed from going on that run just to get there that that's they spent everything they had but yeah i mean unlike uh unlike the basketball problem where people are like uh i don't want to go to a basketball game people love going to baseball games going to baseball games it's just fin- you know weather is usually good mm-hmm. and pk park you know nice venue it's I mean, it's small like any other college baseball stadium, but it's seats are not a bad seat in the house. You can get your four dollar hot dogs that probably cost fifty cents to make, and two dollars to market. <laughs> that was what I missed most about covering baseball games: is eating those hot dogs for free, <laughs> knowing that you didn't have to pay four dollars for one. Yeah, but, that's the best part. Yeah, it just good. Looking back on my time as a student, always good, solid memories at PK Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it the one of the years we were playing? I think it was the Super Regionals when we played Kent State. And I think their like nickname is like the Golden Flashes or Golden something. Eagles. Is it? I think it's it's something about a flash. Hang on, Kent State. Oh, Golden Flashes. You're right. Baseball Golden Flashes. And they were so we were at some tables down the down the left field line and the players are warming up in front of us and we just turn to one of them and we go, We have a legitimate question for you, and this is not us trying to heckle you. What is a golden flash? And they were like, Oh, well, what's this and this and this? And it was just like it was like that, you know, that kind of that level of like you're just having this casual conversation with the opposing ball players while they're warming up and it's always a good venue. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like baseball is like gets super heated like before games and stuff. <laughs> no, football, yeah, maybe baseball. That makes a little bit more basketball, sense. Basketball, absolutely. 
But see, you end up like paused a lot, and so like a lot of teammates will be standing next to opponents and stuff on the bases, and you don't want to you don't want it to be awkward. Be like, ah, I was talking trash about your sister. Now we're now we got <laughs> now some time. here we are. Now we got some time to kill while this new pitcher warms up. So uh, yeah, so I'll just stand here awkwardly from, for four minutes. From everything I've heard about baseball, it's like it, all the play. A lot of the players have a you know good mutual respect for each other. A lot of them. Like, you get to the pro level when there's, you know, like MLB and when a lot of the players know each other and friendly conversations with each other. And, you know, there's there's a there's a level of respect that they're just you don't see in other sports, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. I've always said, though, is really has nothing to do with Oregon baseball whatsoever, but it's just baseball topic. I've always said that I would make the worst manager in baseball because I have no respect for the unwritten rules of the game. Dude, the unwritten rules are so dumb. I would be like, well, we're up 12 nothing, and they're not covering you and you want to steal second? Be my guest. Pad those stats a little bit. You can only coach one team. Yeah. See, here's my thing. The unwritten rules in baseball are such BS. It just allows you to get away with dumb behaviors, and they just don't write them down so that they can make up whatever excuse there is. Yeah. Like, all the unwritten rules about, like, X, Y, or Z about that results in you being able to bean somebody. It's like, no, they just they just look for an excuse to hit somebody. Like, oh, the bat flip was wrong, so I'm going to hit the guy next. It's like, come yeah. on. Then we're going to have a bases clearing. Yeah, and then the unwritten ball. rule is you have to clear the bases and punch people. Yep. You got to defend each other and... Yeah, I was like, come on, so archaic. So, yeah, it's shuffling through. There's 12 Ducks playing summer ball. Mm-hmm. Tolman was named all-regional. Former Ducks playing pro baseball at the AAA level. Good stuff all around. You know, baseball... I think they, Go ahead. they had seven... What, I'm just guessing a ballpark number it, they had a handful of people drafted into the mlb draft yeah it's good to see that's the tough thing as like a semi-casual fan of oregon baseball is it's like we sign all these guys and then like on addicted to quack there's like a thread of who's getting drafted and if they're ever going to show up it's like well this is kind of awkward like the MLB draft is a very confusing thing. I mean, not only is does it go on for eternity, there's like 40 rounds or something. And then there's joke picks, like Michael Vick gets drafted and like Russell Wilson gets drafted. People yeah. who have never played the sport before get drafted. And it's just like, they're like, oh, well, you know, he hasn't, he, he can still decide whether he wants to go to college or turn pro, but he's been drafted by the Dodgers. It's like, why don't other sports get this luxury, you know? Uh-huh. And it's like, I I can't wrap my head around all the rules, but someone signed somewhere, and I, it's it's all a very confusing thing to me. Yeah. Uh, every year I tell myself I'm going to spend more time watching Oregon baseball, and then somehow it just slips away from me. I got super stoked for the beginning of the year, mostly because it was like mid-February, and... It was the first taste of baseball since, you know, the fall. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, posted up with my laptop watching the watching the local Hawaii stream of that series. And then I think I didn't watch a game for the rest of the year. 
after that <laughs> Hawaii series. Classic. I, I kept an eye on him, but I never, like, all those games that were on the Pac-12 networks, I, like, never sat down and, and watched him. So, new goal for for 2016. Huh. All right. To the sport that everybody's been waiting for. Track and field. Track and field. My my guys. Both the men and women won the national titles. Which, yeah. Women, first title in 30 years. Men, back-to-back titles. Here's the thing that I'll, I'll kick off with. Um, and let me... I want to find this guy's name so I get this whole whole thing right um, Texas A&M coach Pat Henry I'm sure you, you've all heard of this by now Hayward Field atmosphere a quote unfair advantage for the Ducks sounds about right that's and probably a legit complaint though he says he's well I'll go on to tell you why it's it's total BS okay in this so from from the from the Oregonian here, this is, quote, this is just not a fair environment. You don't have the basketball championships in Rupp Arena with Kentucky in the mix because it's an unfair advantage. And I will say this as a both a guy who's run track before and mostly has spent significant time at Hayward Field, both as a fan and as a media member on both sides of it. They are, yeah. There is the Hayward magic that you know you're you put on that that yellow organ singlet or whatever color they decide to wear for the day, and you know you're running in front of the home crowd and and they're cheering a little bit harder for the Ducks. Yeah, that's of course there's there's the Hayward magic, but you can talk to other track and field athletes, and that Hayward magic applies to everyone. Right. Because it's a fan base that just cares about the sport. And they're cheering when there's when there's a race that no you know, that there's no ducks in that race, they're still cheering for all the athletes and they're still they've got that synchronized clap when they come around every lap and it's just it's a special atmosphere and it's an atmosphere that you can't mimic anywhere else in the country. And there's no such thing as, I, I don't think there's a such thing as a home track advantage, so to speak. I think that, I, I think it's good for the athletes to be in a venue that's, and be in a community for the championships where the people just care so much about the sport mm-hmm. and I think it's really good for the sport for it to be there. Mm-hmm. I can see where, you know, he's bitter about maybe they're cheering a little bit harder for the ducks and, but you, it's like, you can't compare a, a basketball game and a track meet. That's just two completely different atmospheres in a basketball game. You are, there's a clear difference between, you know, between who you're cheering for and it's like if you're in a race let's say you're a texas a&m runner and you're racing in the 5,000 meters and there's you know there's edward cheserick and the the oregon guys up front and you've got the thunderous cheers i can speak for that as a as a runner who's been in those situations you 
you benefit from those cheers just as much as they do because mm-hmm. it's just like it's the adrenaline of like the roar of the crowd and um so i yeah i i think the the track championships are in eugene permanently until like at least 2020 mm-hmm. and i think there's talks of like just making it a permanent thing kind of how you have like softball in oklahoma city and baseball in omaha and it's just that's where you go every year yeah i thought of another analogy i mean it's unfair in the same way that ucla should never be allowed to play in a rose bowl that makes sense yeah it's just an unfair advantage we have to move the national championship or the rose bowl away from the rose bowl yeah when ucla plays in it It's a rule. It's science. You can't argue with it. It's, you can't. You can't argue with science. But, no. uh, but inter- interesting story from the from the championship. So Edward Cheserick won the ten thousand meters. Um, won the title there. I think he he swept the the five k and the ten k. Um, so it, it's you know Cheserick and and Eric Jenkins were kind of the, the powerhouse guys for Oregon this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, and, and Cheserick, or not Cheserick, uh, Jenkins was talking to the media after the 10K race that, uh, that Cheserick won. And the plan was for them to cross the finish line together, one, two, like cross the line at the exact same moment if, you know, you need to determine a winner, go to the photo finish, but they're not, you know, it's, that was the plan to go across the line one, two. And then Cesare kind of surged away at the end and Dick. was the clear winner. And he said, and Jenkins was saying, you know, well, he won, but that, that's not how it was supposed to happen. He just, and you could tell he was, he was bitter about it. Oh, really? And he was a little salty there. Um, you know, I, I would be too. It's like, okay, we were supposed to do this together as teammates, go across one, two, and you just pulled away at the pulled away at the end. You changed mind, changed mind last second. Psych! I'm going to be a national champion, and you're not. Oh yeah! Wait! Oh wow! You know, so oh, wow. And then there's a, and then there's this great picture and of the end of the, the five thousand final. Um, you know, and Cheserick's crossing the line winning. And Jenkins is about a step or two behind, and he just has a big smile on his face looking at Cheserick. And, you know, who knows if that's, ah, you did it again, you know, or I'm sure by that point in the race it was every man for himself. And But yeah, Edward Cheserick is is a special runner. He's going to do some big things at the pro level. He said he's 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 only a sophomore, but there was already talks of him going pro. But he said he's coming back. Mm-hmm. So more more victories for Oregon coming through. And the so the big thing from the the women's side. Um, let me go back to the my reliable home of goducks.com here. <laughs> Cuz I don't want to 
I'm the ugliest the... sight I've ever looked at. God, it's a disaster. It is not good. And they paid so much money for that. Yeah. And it looks awful. None of the sliding banners work. Everything's just mashed together. Man, they paid for that. That's terrible. Let's see. Since I can't find it on the on the site. Here we go. This is what I was looking for. Women's 10,000 meter race. This proved to be huge for the Ducks. Because um, the whole thing with with track and field is form charts and it's essentially here's where you're predicted to finish and because uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with the track and field it's actually a very it's a relatively simple sport to score and follow along with um you've essentially got you know it's, it's most points wins and if you get first place it's 10 points second place is eight points third place is six points and then so I think it goes ten, eight, six, five, four, three, two, one. I think is how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so ten thousand meters and Ken Go is kind of the uh, the go to track and field guy in Eugene. Mm-hmm. He's been Makes doing sense. it since. I love 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 this in his article. the The Coupe de Grace was in the ten thousand. So Molly Grabill and Waverly Near came out of nowhere for a 4-5 finish that gave the Ducks nine unexpected team points, vaulting them back into contention. And I think... I I, I'm, I don't know what the... I'm trying to pull up what the final scores were, but it was like those nine points basically kind of pushed Oregon over the edge and and played a huge part in getting them the title. So even in track and field, even if you're getting fourth, fifth place, it can go a long way. Man. So that was huge. Nine? See, I see if I see you guys finish fourth and fifth, I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. Yep. It's all the little things. It's, like the lineman sealing things. the edge. All right. Well, this has been exhaustive. We've covered just about everything that we can yeah. talk about with uh, some intelligence. Yeah, as we are now just shy of 100 minutes. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to split this up. I hope not. Um, but yeah, any closing comments? It's been a good year of Oregon athletics. Some national championships here and there. Some almost national championships. And it'll be another another fun season of... Uh, Oregon sports coming up in 2015, 2016. 75 days, people. 75 days, and we're... From the day we're recording. 75 days from the day we're recording, which means by the time you're listening to this, it'll be less than that. 73, probably. Inching closer every yep. day. All right, well, that'll do it Do it uh, for us here at Addicted to Quack. We're all out, so we're going to have to go stock back up sling some more it's the downtime right now uh but we should be doing some of these more regularly as we get closer and closer um if you if you like lengthy summer tangents where we're talking about nothing in particular oh this summer is going to be for you oh yeah i mean if you get tired of solid verbal doing it 
um, doing it terribly, but shots fired. Um, yeah. So if for some reason someone wants us to cover something, hit us up in the comments and we'll do it, I guess. If people are up for us talking about random stuff. All right, so that'll do it for us here at Addicted to Quack. I'm Rusty. That was Sean. See you guys again soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.